<clears throat> I have appreciated being here as well. Uh, the worship time together, the singing, the thoughts that were shared from Isaiah. So thank you for that, John. And uh, May the Lord be honored by our meeting together today. Um, so I'm going to continue on this morning in the little series that I'm doing. Uh, I know I'm sharing once a month, but we're in the middle of a little series from the book of Ruth. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. We will look at chapter 3 today. In a sermon I've entitled, The Meeting at Midnight. And while there are various... Uh, Characters in this study, this story, uh, I really enjoyed in this study today, uh, studying about Boaz. Of course, we have Boaz, we have Ruth, and we have Naomi as kind of the main characters. Early on, we had Orpah as well, but um, Orpah has gone her way, and now we have Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And I just really enjoyed studying this chapter and seeing the character and of, of Boaz come out. Boaz, is a, he was a good man and, and a worthy, worthy man to follow by example for young men. Uh, a lot of good characteristics in Boaz's life. So let's look at that today. Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, the whole chapter. Some of you, most of you have been here, I guess, from the start, chapters 1, chapter 2 so far. But for a quick review, uh, in chapter 1, we saw how Ruth came to be the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She made a very noble choice in Moab to leave Moab, her country, her home country, her own people, family, her religion, and travel back with Naomi to Naomi's people. A noble choice and uh, a brave choice on her part to do that. But she wanted to follow Naomi and Naomi's God, the one true God. And she expressed lots of love and loyalty to Naomi uh, so far. Uh, in chapter 2, Ruth demonstrated a very humble heart as she willingly served Naomi, very, I should say, self, selflessly served Naomi, uh, her mother-in-law, by providing sustenance for herself and for her mother-in-law. So she, was, she went out and she worked hard to gather grain, gather food in for the two of them so they could live and survive. She exercised her right as a widow there back in Israel, uh, among the Israelites, to glean after the harvest, the harvesters during the harvest time, the reapers that were reaping grain. They had the right as widows to come behind and, and gather the grain. So she exercised that right as well. Getting a little bit behind here. Okay, so we also learn how Ruth came to meet up with Boaz. Ruth came to meet up with Boaz. Bible says that she happened to be gleaning in the field of Boaz. Now, when you read that, at first glance, you might think, oh, it just happens to be. But personally, I believe that that was divine, that, a divine uh, happening, that God arranged that. It wasn't just happenstance, um, divine providence that the two met in the field that day. Boaz had asked his workers to leave extra grain behind for her, <clears throat> and uh, 
he asks his workers about this strange woman that's, that's working in the fields, different lady, hadn't seen before, but noticed some, some good characteristics about her. So he was asking his workers about her. <clears throat> he was very respectful in his inquiry and his approach to Ruth. Very respectful in the way he did this. And these are, this is just an interesting thing to, to watch Boaz in this story and to see how he responded, the questions he asked, and the way he did things. It was admirable, admirable the way he did that. Uh, after learning about her identity, he encouraged her to continue gleaning in the days to come. And we all know how that he told the workers to leave and leave more on purpose for her to, to pick up. Uh, Naomi was thrilled to hear of the events, what was going on in the field when Ruth would come back at the end of the day and hear what was going on, thrilled Naomi's heart. Earlier in chapter one, we saw that Naomi had become a bitter person. Remember that? Because of what had happened when they went to Moab, how that her husband and two sons-in-law passed away, leaving her and her two daughters-in-law. Uh, she had become kind of bitter and self-focused. And she kind of became convinced now, though, that God had not forsaken his kindness towards her because of what was happening now that they were back in Israel. Um, all started basically when Boaz started coming into the picture. The challenge for us today, at least one challenge that I've picked out, is that when one person trusts the Lord, one person trust the Lord and obeys his will, it can change the situation in their life and in the lives of people around them. Have a very positive effect on their lives. When people are struggling in their walk with God, if we, if you, if I, choose to follow after God and follow his will for our lives, then that can be a challenge to that struggling individual around us. Sometimes we don't think about it like that, but maybe unintentional on our part, but if we're following after God, just that example can be a challenge and encouragement. We receive the greatest joy and satisfaction in our lives when we serve others and we stop focusing on ourselves. I believe that to be true. I confess I don't always live like that. I don't always have that attitude to my, to my shame. But if I could just learn... That when I focus on others, stop focusing on myself, I can have greater joy and satisfaction in life and following my, my Lord Jesus, <clears throat> serving him by serving others. So this brings us to chapter 3, to today's text. Uh, with advice from Naomi, Ruth is going to make a plea that will prompt Boaz to fulfill an obligation that was due the family of Elimelech. Remember Elimelech? Naomi's husband who passed away. So there was an obligation that was due to that family according to the Israeli law. So what I'd like to do this morning is you have your Bibles open to chapter 3 of Ruth. Maybe you can just lay your Bibles on the bench beside you. And I'd like you to please stand together. Don't close your Bibles. Just leave, lay them, keep them open there because you'll be needing them as we go on. But we're going to read this together. Uh, what I'd like you to do is Maybe the ones on my left here can read the white, and the ones on my right can read the yellow. Okay? 
So we'll read through the chapter in that manner, and then you can be seated after that, and we'll go on. So on my left, begin. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, and may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and go and uncover his feet, and lie down, he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the feet with grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. All right, thank you. You may be seated. And that's the story for today. So I'd like to share uh, a couple of points today. First one being Naomi's advice, taken for the first five verses of this chapter. Naomi gives some advice. We want to look at that. Naomi had a concern for Ruth. In verse 1 it said, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi loved her daughter-in-law dearly. And she's concerned about her security and her well-being. She wants to seek rest for her. 
I don't think that's the type of rest where she wants her to be able to come into the couch, uh, instead of being out in the field, come into the sofa and lay down on the sofa and just rest and take it easy. That's not the kind of rest that we're talking about here. I think the word rest here implies the, uh, the benefits and the financial security that is found in marriage. So think about the culture, think about what they did back then, how the parents did things, and she was concerned about Naomi's welfare and her future. The custom of the day was to have parents arrange the marriages. In Judges chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, we read about Samson and how he asked his parents to get a wife for him. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as my wife. These are the judges. This is the way they did things back then. The parents arranged the marriages. So think about that and think about how that, this is probably on, this is what's on Naomi's mind uh, for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. They were both widows. She was concerned about Ruth's uh, uh, future and her security. And so she's trying to think down that path. So Naomi's concern was prompted by providential circumstances. Verse 2 says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose women, whose young women you were? He See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So she brings up this whole thing of Boaz being a relative, and you might say, okay, and so what about that? What about Boaz being a relative? What's that have to do with it? Well, according to the Leveret Law, which is an Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, um, a dead man's brother was obligated to marry the widow if there were no sons to the first marriage. So we know, according to Scripture, that Ruth did not have any sons with her first husband. He died. And so, according to this law uh, mentioned in Deuteronomy 25, the, the brother, the dead man's brother, uh, was obligated to marry the widow if there were no sons. Furthermore, Naomi had been hearing about all the kindness that was shown to Ruth by Boaz. And she may have interpreted this as Boaz having interest in Ruth. We don't know that. That's supposition, I realize. So take that for what it's worth. But may have had those thoughts that Boaz would be having interest in Ruth. Naomi also knew that Boaz would be winnowing barley at the community threshing floor that night. Now, there's a picture of a threshing floor. It may have looked something like this. Harvesting and threshing were cooperative efforts. In those days, the men in the villages would take turns using the threshing floors, which were oftentimes located on a hill. And the one in the scriptures mentioned it's located outside of the city. And as I was imagining things, uh, well, let's just talk about it first. After the oxen, you see some oxen on there. The oxen would stamp out the grain. <clears throat> and the workers then would take the, the stalks and they would throw things up into the air and they would let the wind blow the chafe, the chafe away and uh, the uh, grain would fall back down on the threshing floor. And then they would be able to pick up the clean grain off the floor. So my imagination is that it would be outside the city, maybe up on a hill at a... They picked maybe a windy spot, a, a spot that's typically lots of wind. That's what the whole purpose was, is to pitch the grain up in the air, 
let the wind blow it away, the grain, the heavy grain falls back down the floor. So that might be a picture of similar of what, it, what, it, what they were dealing with back then. So then after, the grain, after that job's done, then the men would often sleep next to the pile of grain that, was, that they gathered that day. And that was for protection so that nobody would come by and steal the grain that was cleaned. So Naomi realized that Boaz would likely be spending the night out by the threshing floor, out by his pile of grain that day. And Naomi's plan was specifically designed to get a response from Boaz, verses 3 through 5. She gives Ruth some very pointed instructions. She says, Wash therefore, and anoint thyself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. <clears throat> so, specific things Ruth is told to do. Wash herself. Now in the East, frequent washing was a necessity. But water was not always plentiful. We live in a land today here where there seems to be plenty of water. This year we've had a pretty decent amount of rain, so... Uh, we've not been too dry this summer. And, and we don't really think too much about using water for washing and for whatever we need to use it for. It's just, it's there. It's pretty, pretty readily available here. But in the east, it's not always that plentiful. But there was a, a very big necessity of, of washing because of the way they, the roads were dusty and they had their sandals and their feet and their feet would get dirty and whatever. So needed water. As I thought about that, there, I think there's a parallel in, here to point out, a parallel that if we want to enter into a deeper relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, then we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, according to Scripture. So while Ruth may have been intending, or Naomi have it intended for Ruth to have this deeper relationship begin, for us today, if we want a deep relationship with our Lord, we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. The psalmist says in Psalm 51, verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. When we seek forgiveness from the Lord, He washes the record clean. But I don't think that He does what we must do for ourselves. Um, we have to put out of our lives those things that defile us. And each one of us in our lives knows what those things are that we must get rid of and put out of our lives. Yes, the Lord forgives. Yes, the Lord washes us clean. But he expects us to make some changes as well and to do some things differently. So as you think about your life, as I think about my life, is there things in our lives we must get rid of, put out of our lives to be clean before our Lord? <clears throat> so Ruth was told, specific instruction, before you go down to, to see Boaz, Wash yourself. He says, she says also, anoint yourself. Basically, put on some perfume. Have a pleasant smell. Be pleasant to be around. So anointing here, anointing oil uh, or perfume, whatever, symbolizes the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. We need the anointing of the Spirit in our lives today. 
A.W. Tozer said this, <clears throat> if, God were to, if God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what the church is doing would go right on, and nobody would know the difference. Now, I think that's a very sobering statement that Tozer made. Think about it. Is it true? Is that true for the church here at Wellspring? If God took the Holy Spirit out of our lives, would we just continue on as we have been? Are we in a rut? Are we turning a crank with no leading of the Spirit in our lives? Anoint yourself, Ruth. Third thing she's told to do is to change clothes. Get dressed up. Don't go down there looking all ragged and in your work clothes. Get washed. Get smelling good. Get dressed up. Be very presentable. She needed to take off the dress of the sorrowing widow and dress for the wedding, so to speak. Wasn't going to a wedding, but get dressed up. <clears throat> She's told to go to the threshing floor. Go to the threshing floor. Take a peek at Boaz from a distance. Wait until he has eaten, until he's drank, and he's fallen asleep. Stay back. Don't let him know you're there. And then she's instructed to walk in softly, quietly, uncover his feet, lie down, and wait for a response from Boaz. So I take it that this happened after dark. If she could sneak in there into the threshing floor area and see him preparing to lay down for the night and go to bed um, without knowing that she's around. She had, it was probably getting, getting dark or maybe right after dark or something, but she had to sneak in there and do these things. Um, there are some people who interpret uncovering his feet and lying down as an immoral activity. Uh, between the two of them, I say not so. I think it's unthinkable that Naomi would encourage Ruth to commit such a bold act of immorality uh, in that day be completely counter to what we know of Ruth's character as we studied up to this point. And I don't think that that would have, been, would have been suggested by Naomi for Ruth to do that. In fact, the actual text of verses 7 8, just a little bit later, suggests that nothing indecent happened. And as I didn't read yet, reread, in verse 5, we, rate, we read that Ruth consents to, to Naomi's advice and follows it to a T. She says, All that you say... I will do. And isn't that so much like Ruth and what we've studied so far? Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Whatever you live, I'm going to live. Everything you say, I'm going to do. Very submissive young lady. Lots of good character qualities in Ruth as well. So that's Naomi's advice. Now we're going to move into Naomi or Ruth's submission in verses 6 through 15. Ruth's submission. So she goes down to the threshing floor. She does exactly what her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. Verse 6, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when, most, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So Ruth goes down to the threshing floor, sits back, Waits till Boaz is eaten, 
lays down, goes to sleep, and then she softly walks over, uncovers his feet, and lies down. And it's dark. And next, we come to a rude awakening. Verse 8 says, At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So it's midnight, and he's tossing and turning a little bit, and he rolls over and feels something, and there's a woman laying at his feet. I think we would all be startled if that happened to us. Somebody was laying at the feet of our feet. We just went camping as a youth group, guys. Uh, we got rained out, I know, but what if at midnight something would have started touching your feet in those hammocks you guys were sleeping in? <laughs> We've probably seen some guys scampering out of hammocks. Well, they scampered anyways because of the rain, but anyways. Yeah, startling discovery at midnight for, for poor Mr. Boaz. Um, there's Snoopy. Snoopy's a, a cartoon character, as you know, but he said, life is full of rude awakenings, or the designer of Snoopy said that, but this is right after Snoopy fell asleep on his doghouse, up on the peak, you can picture Snoopy on his peak of his doghouse on his back, and after a while he rolls, tumbles down to one side and plump on the ground, and then he walks away like that. Life is full of rude awakenings. Well, there's two other Old Testament characters that had some very interesting awakenings. The very first man that was created, his name was Adam, and he had an interesting situation. So he went to sleep and had surgery and woke up with a wife. I don't think that's happened to any of us here. You probably never even considered that what happened to you if you have surgery before you're married. That you go to have surgery and you wake up and you have a wife. But that happened to Adam, didn't it? Jacob was another one that had kind of a... Adam's was a unique happening. Uh, Jacob had a rude awakening. <laughs> Jacob woke up to discover that he had married the wrong woman. He was given Leah instead of Rachel. So that was a rude, rude awakening for Jacob. But then we have Boaz here, and he woke up at midnight. He finds a woman lying at his feet. And he says, who are you? <clears throat> who are you? Ruth identifies herself and makes her plea. So picture, it's, it's dark out. I mean, I don't know if there's any moon shining or not, but to see a little bit, but maybe, maybe he saw an outline of a figure. I don't know what he could see or couldn't see, but he's like, who are you? He, could, he obviously didn't know who she was or who he was or whoever was down there. Who are you? And she says, verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She says, spread your wings over your servant. And that would be a symbolic action, denoting protection by marriage. She also says, for you are a redeemer. Or she's saying, you are a close relative or a kinsman. And this was, again, suggesting and pointing back to that leveret law of the Israelites, where the man must marry the, the uh, widow uh, the brother must marry the widow to continue on the family line. But Bo Boaz reminds her that he is not 
the nearest of kin. So it's kind of like a roller coaster ride of emotions here, isn't it? So Ruth goes and does what she's told to do by Naomi, and she says this, and then it's like, so she's climbing up here, and then all of a sudden he says, yeah, but I'm not the next of kin. So she starts heading down. Emotionally, I, I can imagine, that's probably how I would feel. Like, oh man, you're not the next of kin. Who, who is, you know? So next we see Boaz's gentlemanly response with gratitude, honor, and kindness. He's very grateful for her kindness. In verse 10, he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. The New Living Translation says it this way, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing more family loyalty now than ever by not running after a younger man, whether rich or poor. So this verse definitely implies that Boaz was older than she was. doesn't say how much older, that, how much older, but we know that he was older, and he thought that that was noteworthy, that she wasn't running after some of the younger men maybe that she saw in the field as she's gleaning. Uh, whether they were rich or whether they were poor, maybe men more her age, but that, he, that she was uh, very okay with him even though he was older. So he's also concerned about preserving her honor, verses 11 to 14. And before I read that, just think about this. Okay, so this guy just wakes up at midnight, startled by this lady or this person at his feet, and now he's talking like this. What does that say about what he may have been thinking about for the last several days or weeks? Just follow along as I read this and what he, what he had to say about the situation after having just been startled awake at midnight. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But, he is not, but if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. How did he think about this at midnight after having just been startled awake? How, did he, how could he say all this stuff? I think he had been thinking about, about this for, for quite some time. But it's just my supposition. Boaz promised her that she would be redeemed. It's going to happen, he says. You will be redeemed. However, he did have to inform her that he is not the closest relative. Boaz, a man of integrity. He's learning how, he's learning to know this very virtuous woman out there in his field through his workers and through his own interaction, inviting her to, to lunch. Remember that? He's learning to know this woman, this virtuous woman. But he realizes that by law, he has to give that right of marriage to the closer relative. Okay. But he also swears that he will redeem her if the other man doesn't. He swears, he says, as the Lord lives, I will do it if the other man doesn't. He preserves her moral reputation by having her stay 
until the morning rather than leaving during the night. Why do you think he did that? I don't know. Again, supposing maybe if he would have sent her home in the middle of the night, one, two o'clock in the morning, and somebody would have happened to see that, it would have been maybe unsafe. She might have gotten robbed. She might have gotten raped. She might have gotten harmed some way. So he, he was caring for her. He said, just stay right here and just stay here till morning time. So he cared for her. Man of integrity, man of caring, a gentleman, a kind man. He continues his kindness towards her and Naomi with a gift. Verse 15, he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. <clears throat> so he gives her six ephahs of barley to take back to Naomi. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Uh, let's see here. Let it not, he says, he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Some of you Bible scholars may know the answer to this, but as I thought about this, I'm not sure but what he may have been speaking to himself there, so to speak, or thinking those thoughts. He's thinking, but you know what? We, we shouldn't let anybody know that the woman came here at the threshing floor that night because he, he, he told her to stay here, but then she did rise up early before it was daylight before people would recognize her, and she did go her way then. So I don't know if he was if he was speaking to somebody else at that point, if there was somebody else on the threshing floor area or what. It says, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. May have been thinking or talking to himself at that point. Okay, the significance of this gift. He gives her six ephahs of barley. What's the significance of this gift? It's uncertain, I believe. Was it a gift of, uh, as a bridal price? Was it a message to Naomi recognizing her part in all this or to gain her consent? Was it a cover for Ruth so that if anyone saw her on the way home, they would think that she had been at work gathering grain? Was it simply a gift from a man for the woman that he hoped to marry? Just questions to think about. I don't know why. But he was kind, and he wanted to continue providing for her. He was kind, he was generous, he was a gentleman. And he obviously had lots and lots of integrity. All right, so we have Naomi's advice, we have Ruth's submission, and thirdly, we have wise counsel given. More counsel coming from Naomi to Ruth. So with this large gift of barley, Ruth returns back to Naomi. Naomi asks a very interesting question in verse 16a, and it has baffled some translators. It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? The King James Version says, who art thou, my daughter? The Living Bible paraphrase, that's a paraphrase, says, well, what happened, dear? The ESV says, how did you fare, my daughter? And the authorized version says, who are you, my daughter? Could be implying, are you still Ruth the Moabitess? Or are you the prospective Mrs. Boaz? 
So what did it mean, this question, who art thou, my daughter, in the King James, or how did you fare, my daughter? She brings the grain. Ruth remembers the words of Boaz, and she tells Naomi all that he had done for her that night. Last part of 16 and verse 17. Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she shows and she explains uh, to Naomi the generous gift of these measures of barley. So here's a big hint for all you prospective bridegrooms and you prospective fathers-in-law. A man who sends a generous gift to his prospective mother-in-law is certainly a good choice for a husband. Just saying. Okay, let's move on. More advice for Ruth. This is from Naomi to Ruth. More advice. Naomi tells Ruth to wait and see how things will turn out. Verse 18, last verse of the chapter. I'll back up. Verse 18 says, She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 10, verse 36, For you have need of endurance. There's the key. Endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. If you're going to receive what is promised, we must endure. We must have faith through patience, endurance, to receive or to inherit the promises. Basically, Naomi is telling Ruth, just sit still, wait on the Lord, it's going to work out. Boaz was busy working at redeeming Ruth. Doesn't record everything that Boaz was doing, does it? What all he was thinking, or what all he was doing behind the scenes. But he was busy working at redeeming Ruth. Naomi was confident that he wouldn't rest until he had settled the matter. And just like that, Jesus as well is working unceasingly for us as his people as he intercedes for us in heaven. At the right hand of the Father, he's interceding for us today. He's working unceasingly. He's, he's working in us, seeking to conform us to his perfect will. Another verse, a couple of verses in Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So she's waiting to see what's going to happen. What's going to happen next in the story? Do you like cliffhangers? 
it's kind of a cliffhanger if we just stop right here. But if you read the story, most of you have read the rest of the story, you know what's going to happen. It's tempting to see Naomi as a possibly like a matchmaker type person and what she's been doing. But think about, again, what Naomi was doing, what the culture was, what, the, what happened those days where the parents looked out for their children and made the marriages happen and things. She wasn't a matchmaker, but she was doing what she felt like she needed to do. She had obviously put a lot of thought into her plans. She correctly anticipated Boaz's response, but it was also a risky proposition. Could have easily gone wrong. I believe she simply wanted to see Ruth have a good husband and the security that he would bring to her. Now, there are some scholars that debate whether anything improper took place between Ruth and between Boaz that night on the threshing floor. And again, as I said earlier, I think it's unthinkable to think down those lines. I think it's unthinkable to think down those lines. Um, I found a quote by F.B. Huey Jr. He's a commentator, and he said this, those who interpret a sexual relation in the events reflect their 20th century cultural conditioning of sexual permissiveness. They fail to appreciate the element of Ruth's trust that Boaz would not dishonor her whom he wanted for his wife. They fail to appreciate the cultural taboos of Ruth's time that would have prevented a man of Boaz's position from taking advantage of Ruth and thereby destroying her reputation and perhaps endangering his own. Biblical writers were not squeamish about describing sexual encounters, but the writer of Ruth Excuse me. But the writer of Ruth has deliberately refrained from saying there was a liaison between Ruth and Boaz. If read carefully and with sensitivity, it becomes clear that he was saying just the opposite. Both Ruth and Boaz acted virtuously in a situation they knew could have turned out otherwise. Chastity was not an unknown virtue in the ancient world. Let's think again, briefly, about the noble character of Boaz. And he's my favorite character in this lesson today. We saw his kindness and his sense of propriety in chapter 2. We see his kindness and his concern for duty and reputation in this chapter. And the integrity of Boaz made it possible for Naomi to plan a risky proposition with a very strong likelihood that he would respond in the proper manner. So while, again, Naomi thought through this and she had a concern and she had a plan and she wanted the best for Ruth, she could do that because Boaz was a man of integrity. That's why she could plan like that. The benefit of having integrity is that people know how we will respond in a given situation. The challenging question for each one of us I'd like to leave is, would we have responded with integrity like Boaz? I'd like to close by singing a song together in the Hymns of the Church, song number 749.
749.